महाभूताहंकार ಮಾಡಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ಸ್ I have stated here briefly. <coughs> so what is Kshetra that has been stated? What is non-self that has been stated here? Now, what is Kshetra Gnya and all these things will be stated later on? Lord has said, he will talk about Kshetra and Kshetra Gnya. All of that will be stated later on. In between now, Lord Krishna says something which he considers very important. Adhunadu what is said to be the a group of the various disciplines a group of various values is what now Lord Krishna prescribes here or enjoins here yasmin sati tadnye vijnana yogya adhikrata bhavati which when it is there that is when this group of disciplines or when this group of values is there within oneself then one becomes yogya, one becomes fit for gaining the knowledge. <coughs> so this question is raised often that when you say that the words or the statements of the Upanishads, they are pramanam, they are the valid means of knowledge, then they should create knowledge in me. When we say that the eyes are the means of knowledge for color, then the eyes should produce the knowledge of color. Nothing is required to be done about that. So when, the, when an object is contacted by my eyes and then the knowledge will automatically take place, all that is necessary is a contact between the object of knowledge and the sense perception. When that contact takes place, then knowledge takes place automatically and therefore no effort is required on my part. Similarly, if the words or the statements of scriptures is pramanam, is a valid means of knowledge, tattvamasi, that thou art. You are Brahman. So you are a whole and complete being. You are exactly what it is that you want to be. So you are already accomplished. This is what Upanishad is telling us. Then those words should create in me the knowledge that I am Brahman. Then alone they can be called Pramanam. So Pramanam or valid means of knowledge is that which in fact creates Pramakaranam Pramanam. So that which is a means of valid knowledge is called Pramanam. If words are Pramanam then they should create in me the knowledge. But Swamiji, I have been listening to this for a long time and still the knowledge is not created. And many people say, Swami, yes, I understand. I understand everything that is said here, but still, nothing happens to me, looks like. So, there is no experience. That means that I don't seem to gain the benefit of what it is that I understand. 
There is an understanding at a certain level that yes, everything is Brahman, everything is God, I am also not separate from that. Thus everything is divine, everything is beautiful. So I can understand intellectually, but when I look at the world, I don't see it. That is all, when I look at myself also, I do not see myself as Brahman. When I look at the world also, I don't, it doesn't strike me. That is, so when I interact with the world, it does not create in me this kind of response that I am interacting with Brahman. Or that Brahman is interacting with Brahman. So this is a reality, I understand, but that does not seem to become reality for myself. Then perhaps what the scriptures are telling us is not right. Had it been right, then it should have happened to me and it is not happening. Therefore, either the scriptures are not right, but that is not so. It is the matter of experience of many wise people that what the scriptures say is in fact is right. That is what they verify. Shruti, Yukti and Anubhava. Shruti is the revelation. This truth is revealed. Yukti is the reasoning. The reasoning also is provided to support what it is that the scriptures say. It is not that they just simply make the statement and just, you know, keep quiet, but even scriptures themselves provide reasoning. And Anubhava, it is also the experience of many wise people that they verify that yes, what the Upanishads say is true. In fact, it is our own experience also now and then that I do find myself like that. That Upanishads say that you are you are a good person, you are basically of the embodiment of love and kindness and goodness, that's what you are. So when it is said that you are Brahman, or when it is said that the Jiva and Ishvara, the individual and God are one, it is not meant, or when, when the wise person says, I am God, it is not meant that I am the creator of the whole universe, because God has these two aspects. That God also has a personality, He also has this power with which He creates and sustains and dissolves and He controls the whole universe. And I am the one who is limited in every way. So, I can create very little, I can control very little, in very little ways I can do, but then God does it in the total way. And therefore, of course the statement has to be understood what is meant by saying that you are Brahman or you are God. That God is a person and then also is a personality. I am also a person and I have a personality and this oneness is not meant to be at the level of personality. My personality is limited and of course God's personality has no limitation at all. But the person that God is, is the person that I am. This is what is meant. So that I am Lord Krishna, suppose. No, Lord Krishna has these two aspects. One is Lord Krishna raises a whole mountain in the little finger of his left hand, you know, this is the story. And the many miracles we see in case of Lord Krishna. That when he opened his mouth and his mother found all the whole Brahmanda, the whole cosmos in his mouth, you know. So this is one thing about Lord Krishna. But the other thing about Lord Krishna is that he is a loving, he is of the nature of joy or happiness and love. And that is the person that Lord Krishna is. So it is from that standpoint that we say that Lord Krishna is nothing but my own self. Well, Lord Krishna here says also, Kshetrajnam Chapimam Vidhi Sarvakshetreshu Bharata. May you know that I am the Kshetrajna, I am the self in all the beings. What is meant is that the person that I am is the person that you are. That Lord Krishna means inherently one who attracts everybody. And it is love that attracts everyone, it is ananda or the joy that attracts everyone. And therefore, Lord Krishna is the embodiment of love and joy and freedom. And that is essentially my nature also, that you are also by nature 
love and joy and freedom. But Swamiji, when I look at myself, I don't see that. And he said also that God is the self of all. That means everywhere, in, in the core of everything, there is a love and joy and freedom. And that also, I do not seem to experience, I don't seem to find. And so, even though I understand logically or with reasoning, still, this has not become a reality for me. So, the knowledge, so they say that, even in spite of listening to the scriptures, as though the knowledge does not take place. So is there something wrong with the scriptures now? And I said, now and then I do find myself, very, there is a verification of what the scriptures say, that I do find myself a loving person. Now and then, I do find myself a kind person, a loving person, a freedom also experience that yes, everything is fine, I am also fine. Now and then I do experience. So now and then I do see myself as a person who is alright. Not lacking anything momentarily. Now and then I find myself a very generous and kind person also and forgiving. Now and then I do find. So now and then I find myself, there is a verification of what the scriptures say as to what I truly am. I do experience that. It is not that I do not experience that about myself. But so many, that is just a fleeting thing. It doesn't seem to persist. In short, what the scriptures say also is a matter of our own experience. It is not that we do not experience Brahman. It is not that we do not experience ourselves also as Brahman. We do now and then. There are moments. And so, it is true that you are Brahman and everything Brahman is truth. But what is necessary is that that truth should become a reality for me and that knowledge should take place in me. And so, Therefore, these words of these scriptures or the statement of the scriptures can become pramanam, meaning they can become the means of knowledge, they can create knowledge in me when certain condition in me also is satisfied. And what is that condition? That is what Lord Krishna is stating that when the mind enjoys these values, that is when it is that that a person becomes yogya, a person becomes fit. Adhikrataha, he becomes adhikare, he becomes a right person or fit person in order to gain the knowledge. So this point is made again and again. That in order for the knowledge to take place, it is not enough that the scriptures are there and this that they are what they say is valid. It is not even enough that the scriptures are unfolded to us by qualified teachers. Of course, as the Upanishad says, Ananya Prope Gatiratranasti, when the truth is unfolded by the qualified teacher, then the knowledge should take place. Because what the teacher unfolds is his own self, or what the teacher unfolds is the self of, in fact, the student or the listener. That being the case, it, they, the knowledge about myself should take place. And still if it doesn't take place, that means that some condition that needs to be satisfied has to be created. And therefore, there is a qualification here, that the scriptures are pramana all that. But Swamiji, I mean, Aham Brahma, Smyayam Brahman, why all these long lectures are necessary? Why do you have to go on for long? I mean, why such an elaborate thing? All right, I am Brahman. That everything is Brahman. Why do you have to keep on talking about it so elaborately? 
because again these statements can produce knowledge in me provided the statement is understood and therefore what we call vichara or a deliberation or analysis of the statements is required and that's what we are doing so what the bhashikara the commentator like shankaracharya do and of course what the teachers do is to unfold the meaning of the statements a statement can become a means of knowledge provided we understand what it means we understand what about tatparya and the purport of the statement see when when somebody is talking to us when can we understand correctly what the person says only when we understand what's the tatparya what is the intention behind what it is saying or what exactly is is what he wants to say and therefore the words that we analyze to understand tatparya the purport of what the speaker is saying and thus all this analysis is meant to determine the tatparya the purport of what the scripture is saying scripture is talking to us but then we must understand the tatparya the purport of what where they are coming from <coughs> and therefore not only do we require the words of scriptures we require vichara we require an inquiry we require in fact a deliberation upon the meaning of the statements of scriptures so that also is being done and then third thing is required so understand how so we say that vedanta is pramanam the scripture is pramanam a valid means of knowledge when the one the statements are analyzed that we deliberate upon the meaning of the tatparya of the statements and third condition also is required and that is the preparedness on the part of the student himself or herself that preparedness also is required because words can create knowledge only when the proper preparation is there even these words which are spoken in english language they also can create knowledge in a listener provided the preparation is there there must be the preparation in terms of the language not only language but also preparation in terms of the subject matter that is being communicated because even when we know english language if i have to go into some you know the class is conducted of phd for particle physics for example and if i go and sit in the class i won't understand anything even though language is known and still the samskara meaning that the kind of preparation that is required for that topic is not there and so we know in our day to day experience all life also that we can understand what is told to us provided our mind has the preparation to understand what is being said what we call the samskaras the preparation or preparation preparedness is required this way when you go to university there sometimes they give prerequisites meaning that you must prepare for what is going to be taught to you that's called prerequisite <coughs> and that's there is a prerequisite to understand anything to understand a simple communication also the prerequisite of the language and also the topic that is under discussion the context must also be understood all of that preparation is there then the knowledge will take place so when i uttered a word mango that word mango will create a flash of understanding in your mind provided you have the you have the samskara you have the preparation of the language at the same time you know what that mango is and so when that preparation is there in the mind then alone the words can create knowledge <coughs> and therefore the words of vedanta coming from teacher also can create the knowledge in me that meaning will flash in my mind provided my mind has the requisite preparation 
So this preparedness seems to be a very important thing in order to understand or gain knowledge. See the, the, see the meaning intimately. Not just see the meaning in a general way, but see the meaning intimately. What do you call? Aparokshajnanam or immediate knowledge. So they talk of knowledge of two levels, Parokshajnanam and Aparokshajnanam. Mediate knowledge and immediate knowledge, indirect knowledge and direct knowledge. In order for the knowledge to become immediate, for the knowledge to become direct, what is required is that preparation, what we call the matured of the mind or preparedness of the mind. So Yasmin Sadi, when this preparation is there, then the person becomes fit for gaining the knowledge. Yat paraha sanyasi jnana And which when it is there that one gains an abidance in knowledge. Another thing is, sometimes I know something. And still, because my mind does not enjoy that kind of alertness, it does not enjoy that concentration of focus, it doesn't settle with me, meaning that we do not have what we call the abidance in the knowledge. And therefore, to gain also the knowledge and abidance in the knowledge, these preparations are required. In Vedanta, normally we talk about sadhana, chatushta, sampatthi, the fourfold qualifications. They talk of Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhi, Sutka, Sampattihi, Mamukshutvam. Viveka means the discrimination or discernment. Vairagya, the dispassion arising from that. Samadhi, Sutka, Sampattihi, what we call the mental or emotional preparation. And Mamukshutvam, a keen desire to know. So what Lord Krishna here talks about is primarily the Samadhi, Sutka, Sampattihi, the inner preparation of the mind. <coughs> and for that, Lord Krishna here prescribes as many as 20 different values, quite well known. So, in the next five verses, the 20 values are prescribed here, which when they are, then a person knows. Sometimes the question is asked, Swamiji, who is qualified for knowledge? Who can listen to Vedanta? Who is qualified for Vedanta? The answer is very simple. The one who is interested in Vedanta. So, who is, who is fit for knowledge? One who has desire for knowledge. Who is fit for eating food? One who is hungry. Meaning, who will benefit most from the food? One who is hungry. And similarly also, who is the one who will most benefit from the teaching? The one who has desire to know. So, when this preparation is there, then a desire to know arises. What we call Jignasa. That's the reason why the first sutra in Brahma Sutra is Athato Brahma Jignasa. Now then, the desire to know Brahman. So when the desire arises, when the value for the knowledge arises, when it, it becomes of clear to me that this knowledge is the most valuable thing to me. <coughs> when knowledge becomes most valuable to me, then of course, the no, then I am prepared for the knowledge. As long as the mind has many other values, so long the knowledge doesn't seem to register as much as it should. As long as there are many other priorities so long, this does not seem to register or does not seem to be effective. So this preparation also makes the mind what we call sattvic mind. And that's what sattvat sanjayati jnanam. In the mind that enjoys sattva, there is a love for knowledge. And so, with a love for, love for knowledge arises, that is called the preparation for the knowledge. And therefore, Lord Krishna says here that, while you are listening to the scriptures, while you are deliberating upon them, while you are doing all of the kind of sadhana or spiritual practices, then still pay attention to this. 
that this also becomes a very important spiritual practice is to cultivate the values. Understand that cultivating values is not merely for knowledge of Vedanta but to the extent that these values are there in us to that extent our day-to-day life also becomes very pleasant. Even to enjoy the life that is given to us. Also, these values are extremely important. Whether you pursue study of Vedanta or not, and just want to live, I mean, enjoy the day-to-day life that you have, have enjoyable relationships with people, have enjoyable relationship with the objects of the world, have an enjoyable relationship with your own self. That's not easy. I don't always have an enjoyable relationship with my own self because a lot of conflicts are there within myself, with my own self. And thus to resolve these conflicts, so that also these values are important. Thus, even to live what we lead, what we call a happy life, also these values are important. So they are important not only for one's spiritual growth, but they are important and required even for enjoying the day-to-day life. And that's why these values come into play. <coughs> and so we will now take up these values one by one and discuss them. And while talking about values, we should also talk about what we call the value of values. To practice this value also requires a certain preparation in my mind, which is called the appreciation of the value of values. These values are, are there. So we are told, amanitvam, humility is a value. Adambitvam, non-pretentiousness is a value. Ahimsa, non-violence is a value. That's fine. But Swami, why should I practice these values? First of all, very often there is this notion that Swamiji, then when they ask the questions also, this notion is very often expressed. Swamiji, what you call truth is something relative. What is truth for me is not truth for you. What is liked by me is not liked by somebody else. And therefore, there is nothing universal about these values. These values appear to be subjective individual. The answer is no. These are what we call universal values. And therefore we find that as far as this aspect is concerned, almost all religious traditions have some similarity. When they say all religions are the same, you know, when this such a broad statement is made, general statement is made, all religions are the same. At least in this aspect they are not same but they have similarities. All the religions or religious traditions prescribe certain basic values which we will find, we will find in all the traditions. And so all the teachers, they seem to be clear about one thing that these values must be there. In that sense, we will say that all religions have some similarity. The fact that all the religions and all the traditions prescribe these or similar values, that shows that these values are universal and not subjective. But Swami, everything is subjective. Like I was listening to children, you know, on the dining table yesterday, last night, you know, little children. Oh, I like apples and bananas. I hate bananas, I like orange, you know. And so children were saying this and asserting themselves, you know. Little ones, just five-year-old, there was no inhibition at all in declaring what it is that they like and what it is that they don't like. 
And so it looks like everybody has their own likes and dislikes and therefore one likes apples, other likes bananas and third likes orange and so forth and similarly also. So therefore, everything is subjective, but everything is not subjective. These values basically, in fact, are based on some very universal principle. And the universal principle is already stated in right now in this chapter itself. Lord Krishna said in the second verse, Kshetrajnam Chabhimam Vidhi Sarva Kshetreshubharata. Hey Bharata, hey Arjuna, understand that I am the Kshetrajnam, I am the self in all the beings. I am the self of not only all the human beings, I am the self of all the living beings. And therefore, the core of my being is nothing but Lord Krishna, as we say. And what is Lord Krishna is nothing but the embodiment of freedom and the joy and love and knowledge and that is in fact the core of my being, the core of every living being. Not only human beings but all the living beings. Not only living beings but everything in the whole universe, what we call sentient and insentient, everything is all informed by oneself as the seventh chapter said that so all of this is threaded into me. Lord Krishna said, Mai saramidam protam sutre maniganayava. So just as in a thread, all the flowers or all the pearls are strung and similarly also the whole universe is strung in me. Just as a thread passes through every pearl in necklace and so so Lord Krishna says, I pass through, I inform, I support, I sustain everything that is there in the universe. And therefore, I am the so, I am the very essence of everything that is beginning from an atom, the smaller than the smallest, to the larger than the largest, I am equally present everywhere. So, this is the universal truth that there is one self. Even though the personalities are many, it is one self that informs all the personalities. One truth that sustains everything. There is oneness or unity in and through all the diversity. And therefore, that unity or oneness is the primary value. So in order to know that truth, we have to become like that truth. The thing is that in order to know God, I should become like God. Or in order to know myself, I should become like myself. And that there is oneness in and through all the diversity. And to the extent that our life also approaches that oneness, to that extent we become qualified to gain that knowledge. And so this is, there is this process also involved. Sometimes people feel that Swamiji gaining knowledge means it is done, bang, you know. And so, something happens in my mind, bang, that's the knowledge. And when I feel that way, then my mind is always waiting for something to happen. Some bang will happen, some bliss will happen, something will go up and down and things and, you know. But nowhere in Bhagavad Gita they talk about any bangs and things going up and down. Bhagavad Gita always talks about a whole process. As we said that, we have to become like what it is that we want to abide in. If I want to abide in Brahman, as Swamiji would say, that you cannot gain love through the corridor of hatred. You cannot experience happiness through a mind that is unhappy. And therefore a mind that is sad or unhappy, in any number of times we can tell that person you are Brahman and you are Ananda and your wholeness. Thank you Swamiji, I understand. And so, it just doesn't make any sense. So, which is the mind that can understand this message that you are happiness? The mind that reflects happiness, that enjoys happiness. And therefore, it is necessary to acquire that kind of mind. And as you say, the fundamental value is nothing but God or Brahman. 
And who is he? He is the one that is the self of all. He is the one that sustains the whole universe. And therefore, he is also called Dharma, Dharana, Dharmaha. That which upholds everything, that which sustains everything is called Dharma. And that very Dharma, that very God manifests in the universe as what they call the basic law or the basic order. So thus there is a law or there is an order that informs the whole universe, the functioning of the whole universe. That everything functions according to a certain fundamental law. <coughs> the scientists are always in search of that law. And they will someday hopefully discover it. When they will start stop looking outside and look at themselves and perhaps they will discover it. But anyway, the idea is that there is a fundamental law. That is what they call an order. And that is a universal order in as much as that order or law is applicable at all times, places and conditions. So there is something universal in the creation. There is a unity in all this diversity and that is the basis of all the values. <coughs> and that's the reason why everybody loves his values. As pointed out, everybody loves humility. Even though I may find myself a proud or arrogant person, but basically I love myself not when I am proud, I love myself when I am humble. I may find myself a little arrogant person or a, or a violent person or, 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 or an angry person, but I do not like myself when I am angry. I do not like myself when I am violent. I do not like myself when I am hurting somebody. I like myself when I am kind. I am like myself when I am helping somebody. That just shows that that is really the true nature of myself. And therefore, we can say that all the values are primarily derived from my own nature. Because what is the self of the whole universe also is the self of me. The order that we are talking about outside in the world is nothing but the order that is my own self. This is the basic truth. The order is not different from me. That oneness is not different from me. It is in fact my own self. And therefore, these values that are prescribed here or anywhere else are nothing but description of my own self. Samanitvam, humility. That's the nature of the self. Adamvitvam, non-pretentiousness, nature of the self. Ahimsa, non-violence, nature of myself. Satyam, truthfulness, nature of myself. And therefore, in fact, what Lord Krishna is prescribing us or prescribed elsewhere in Bhagavad Gita also is nothing but to live a life that is true to myself. That's what it means. To live a life which is true to myself. But Swami, why should somebody tell me to live a life that is true to myself? Because I am capable of living a life that is not true to myself. This human being can commit a mistake. Because human being has, as we said, a freedom of choice. And when choice is given, it is possible to make a wrong choice. And therefore, since it, the freedom to make a wrong choice is given to me, therefore, it is quite likely that I may make wrong choices and thus act in a manner which is not becoming of me. Thus, I as a human being is capable of acting or conducting myself in a manner which may not be becoming of me and that's the reason why we are told, what is the manner that is becoming of me? What's, what's the manner in which I can live true to my own nature? So really, these values are nothing but asking us to live true to our own nature, true to what we are. 
because there are some other forces within myself which distract me or which sometimes compel me to act in a manner that is quite contrary to my nature. There are other values. And thus we find that in our life there are two sets of values. There are these values that we call the universal values. We'll find also that all these values are something that we love. As Swamiji would always point out that everybody loves humility. Everybody is a value for humility. Everybody is a value for non-violence. And how do we say that? That we say based on what we expect from other people. Meaning that I wish that other people should not violate me. They should not hurt me. I wish that other people should speak truth to me. I wish that fellow should be a mother's family. He always brags about himself. We don't like these people. Always bragging about themselves. Always boasting of themselves. Always. Swami doesn't let anybody talk. We went to that place and this fellow always kept on talking about his wife, his wife, you know. And so sometimes that's what people do. They keep on talking about their own son and boasting about them, boasting about their wife and not let anybody talk and not anybody gain any importance. People don't like that. And so this manitvam, dambhitvam, etc. is something that nobody, everybody likes that you should be humble. You should be humble, whether I am humble or not. You should not hurt anybody, you should not hurt me, whether I am hurting or not. But Swamiji, isn't this contradictory? That this fellow wants other people not to hurt him. Nobody wants to be hurt. But then how come you hurt them? Nobody wants that anybody should tell you a lie or anybody should practice untruth. How come you are lying? Everybody wants other people should be honest and they should you be honest with me, okay? Yes. And so mother will tell the son, be honest with me. Tell me where did you go? What did you do? What did you eat today? I am sure that you must have gone out in restaurant and eaten. That's the reason why you are not eating here in the morning. Be honest. And thus we want other people to be honest to us. But sometimes we find that we are not able to be honest. This tremendous contradiction is there in the human life. That on one hand, as I said, I expect some kind of a behavior from other people, but at the same time, I am not always able to display that behavior. Why is it so? Well, that is because there are two kinds of values within myself, and therefore depends on what set of values takes hold of me. So two contradictory values are there within me. See, this practice of values would not have been prescribed if those contradictory or wrong values were not in me. Nobody is to prescribe these values to cows and dogs and so forth. They, they follow their values. As Swamiji would say that a calf is born and when the calf grows and matures to be a cow, then a cow always is emotionally mature and therefore a cow will always act as a cow. Nobody has to give a, a discourse to the cow that, hey cow, you must eat grass, don't eat meat today. Says the owner of the cow needs to be given a discourse that you should eat, not eat cow. The cow does not need to be given any discourses at all. Because the cow knows instinctively it does what is right. Meaning that the whole universe other than human beings, instinctively does what is right, that is instinctively follows the order that is prevalent. If the human being was not born on this earth, there would have been always an ecological balance. Swami, you know, now there is a lot of, there is a, what do they say, 
this deers, you know, there are large number of deers, that is all right, because we kill some animals, you know. So you kill the predators and now that is, that is why we, wherever the human being goes, he disturbs the balance. Wherever he goes, he disturbs the balance. Because freedom to disturb the balance is given to us. Why does a human being do that, Swamiji? Wherever he goes, why does he disturb the balance? Because this fellow is very selfish. But this fellow is very greedy. And therefore, there is something called greed. And therefore, we want to exploit and exploit and exploit. Exploit the earth. You know, people can be so selfish. They can be so greedy. They can be so insensitive to the needs and requirements of other people that they never bother about what the consequence of action will be. They just go ahead and do. Only today, this morning I was reading, you know, I mean, I, that there is a warning from FBI that some worm is there introduced in the computers, you know. There is some worm that will go in and, and will, will disrupt everything. And that worm is going to be effective. It was already there in July and seems to have already disturbed or disrupted hundreds of thousands of computers. But specifically tonight, midnight, when the first of August comes, then this worm is going to be effective and therefore be careful. Somebody must be there. Where is it coming from? They think it is coming from China. And so there are hackers. There are American hackers who seem to disrupt Chinese computers. And there are Chinese hackers who want to disrupt American computers. Why does somebody want to disrupt this? Now what was I love you virus, you know? There was some place, somewhere in Malaysia, some, place, some fellow was there, I love you. And so, everybody wants to be loved. So whenever he says, I love you, you open that. <laughs> and then, he destroys it. This human being is capable of doing. He can come in front of me and say, I love you, shake hands with me, and then pull out again also. <laughs> this nobody else does. The tiger comes to me as a friend and then shakes hands with me and then attacks me. He will attack, that's all. <laughs> the dog comes in and jumps up and down and then bites me, he doesn't do that. But the human being does. Because human being is what we call selfishness. There is a lot of insecurity. There is selfishness which brings about greed, which brings about anger, which brings about jealousy. Always I keep on comparing myself with others and find that I am not as good as others and I am jealous of other people and so I am trying to pull their legs. Or always try to dominate or control the people so that they will not rise beyond me. And all these kind of tendencies are there we find in the human being and therefore whenever I am overcome by this kind of tendencies that is when I find that I am not able to follow these values. The whole world these days, these values have become a very big thing because everywhere in the world there seems to be a very, uh, there seems to be a compromise of value or in fact violation of values. Anyway, we are not so much concerned about the world, here we are concerned about our own self. But as I said, we find ourselves now and then violating the very values that we value. And why do we violate? Because as I said, we have other sets of values also. We have this kind of impulses, namely this greed and anger and karma, krodha, lova, lust, anger, greed, in as much as this kind of impulses also are there within ourselves. Whenever we get overcome by these impulses, that is when we find ourselves violating the values.
I do not violate the value. I find myself violating the value. Understand this? That I myself never deliberately violated the value, I should say, giving them the credit, but that I find myself violating the value. It is not I, but something within me that compels me to violate the value. So understand that whenever somebody violates the value, it is out of compulsion or helplessness rather than out of a No, Swamiji, this fellow has chosen. It's a premeditated thing. He was waiting for this one to come. And no sooner this person came, he shot. This is all very deliberate. It is deliberate all night. But still, he is helpless. In the sense that he cannot overcome that impulse which made him violate something. And so, we would say that all the violation of values is out of helplessness, out of compulsion. And following the values, is out of free will. So you know sometimes the question is asked Swamiji, is there something called free will? Am I not born with all the vasanas? Am I not born with all my tendencies? And therefore these tendencies dictate what it is that I do? I don't seem to have freedom in acting in any given situation. My tendencies determine what I do. But even when my tendencies tells me to do something, there is something within me which tells me something else also. Meaning that whenever I am, whenever I file my income tax return and file whatever it is that I declare that, there is something within me that tells me that Swamiji, this is not right. At that time there is a freedom. I may not exercise the freedom and then my greed says, no, no, that's all right, don't worry, nobody is ever going to know that and do what you are doing. And so that is called planning, in India they call it tax planning, you know. So, the tax planning means finding out ways of avoiding paying taxes, you know. I guess that must be there everywhere in the world, not only in India, but around the world. Because anyway, nobody wants seems to part with money, you know, that's very difficult. Or as I give the example always, passing to the customs, you know, then the customs officer asks me, Swamiji, do you have something to declare? I usually say I don't have anything. And I just walk away. Because I know that if that fellow opens my bag, he'll find every small thing, you know, and he will, I will wind up paying 15, 20,000 rupees of duty. I don't want to pay that. And therefore, I simply declare, I have nothing. What makes me say that? What makes me tell a lie? Those 20,000 rupees, what is it? The, the, the kind of attachment that I have, or the temptation that I have, Swami, what can 20,000 rupees do to you? Why can buy a color TV, you know? And so some temptation, my greed is what actually compels me to tell lies and to violate these values. And therefore, there are certain forces within our own self. There are certain impulses within our own self which in fact come in our own way of practicing these values. That being the case, therefore, following values becomes very important because every time I follow the value, I am deliberately subduing that negative tendency. And this kind of battle goes on in the mind of everybody. It is that battle which is symbolized by the battle in the field of Kurukshetra between Pandavas and Kauravas. So, they are arrayed against each other. As we have said a number of times, Pandavas represent what we call the, the good or the divine tendencies. And Kauravas represent what we call the evil or the hurting tendencies. 
Swamiji, evil is not a good word. Can you use some other word for this? This demoniac tendencies. Asuri Vritti. This demoniac word. I said, don't worry. Use what we call self-hurting tendencies. So within ourselves there are tendencies that are self-helping and there are tendencies which are self-hurting. Buddhist tendencies. The divine and the demoniac. The Pandavas and Kauravas. The Devas and the Suras. Both of them are in my own heart. My heart becomes a battlefield. That becomes a Kurukshetra. In which these two opposing tendencies are there and both of them are trying to dominate my heart or both of them are trying to dominate my actions. Whoever wins, he becomes strong. If the Suras win, so in the Puranas again and again where the stories of battles between the Devas and Asuras, sometimes the Devatas win but more often the Asuras win. The demons seem to win more often in the Puranas also than the, the Devatas. In our mind also, these, these hurting tendencies or what we call the demoniac tendencies seem to win more often than the divine tendencies. And so, this being the case, it is very <coughs> necessary for us to be very alert and recognize that we have to win this battle. So, Lord Krishna in fact asks Arjuna, or teaches Arjuna as to how to win that inner battle. This battle of Kurukshetra is alright, that you will win. But Lord Krishna says, the enemy is right within yourself. Vidhyenam hivairanam, understand this to be your number one enemy and the Duryodhana will be enemy outside, but there is an enemy right within yourself, which is the one that you have to conquer. And therefore, this becomes a very beautiful process of conquering what you call the inner enemies. The enemies in terms of these impulses or the wrong tendencies are within ourselves and by deliberately practicing the value we slowly and slowly subdue the inner enemies. That's a process of what we call emotional maturity, put it this way, or inner purification or winning the inner conflict or inner battle. And so every time I practice the right value, the wrong tendency is subdued. Every time I practice the right value, the wrong tendency is subdued. And that's why subduing and subduing the wrong tendencies. Swamiji, is it not suppression then? If the anger comes and you subdue the anger, is it not suppression? It is not suppression when I do it deliberately, meaning when I have value for overcoming that anger, then it becomes discipline. So we should know the difference between discipline and suppression. Discipline is when I have value. When anger comes, I have value that I do not want to become overcome by anger. Why? Because I know that anger damages me. And it damages others also. And therefore, I do not want to be overcome by anger. I do not want to be controlled by anger. And as anger arises in my heart, very deliberately, I subdue that. Control that. That would be called discipline. So, this discipline is very important to subdue the tendencies. And we'll have a chance to discuss all of these as we discuss these values. But, as I said, the very need of deliberately practicing the values comes because the opposite or contrary values are there within ourselves and therefore we have to assert the right values and then only the wrong or the damaging tendencies can be slowly and slowly subdued or overcome and thus we can win this battle of Kurukshetra meaning gain a victory in our inner war and that's the preparation that we require the ultimate to gain 
to remove the ultimate enemy, that is called ignorance. So before the primary enemy ignorance is removed, this is, this is the uh, arming. See, Ravana is the primary enemy. He has, he has lots of his commanders and generals and army. All of them first we first subdued and then the final enemy can be conquered. And similarly, all of these are children of ignorance, like Kauravas. Kauravas are all children of Dhritarashtra. Dhritarashtra is born blind. And so Kauravas are all children of the blind. Blindness stands for ignorance. So Kauravas all represent the tendencies born of ignorance. Pandavas represent the tendencies that are born of viveka or discrimination. And so these tendencies are to be first overcome before finally what we call the principal enemy, the ignorance is overcome. So ignorance goes in bank, no doubt, provided all these preparations are done. And so that is why Lord Krishna places them here. So before discussing the nature of Brahman or nature of self, which Lord Krishna will discuss, before that, he sees the need to discuss his values or what is required for preparation because we have to initiate this process. It does not take place automatically. That means that emotional maturity does not take place automatically. The physical maturity takes place without doing anything. But emotional maturity requires our own effort. That is our own responsibility because the freedom of choice is given and we have to take that responsibility. And that is where the, the values come into our spiritual pursuit. As we said, the pursuit of the value also is equally important in our day-to-day life as well. Just live a happy or conflict-free life. <coughs> so with that background, we will uh, start discussion of these values one by one in our next session. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punah Punaha Ishvaro Guru Rathmevi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadyapta Vihaya Dakshina Murta Yenamaha